Thank you so much for tuning in to Let's Talk, the official podcast of the National Runaway Safe Line, or NRS. At NRS, we operate the federally designated national communication system for youth who have run away, are experiencing homelessness, or who may be considering leaving home. For over 50 years, we have provided crisis support and resources for young people, families, and communities across the nation. My name is Christopher, and I'm the Director of Marketing and Communications at NRS, and I really hope you learn as much as I do on this journey to elevate the voices of young people and youth-facing organizations as they share their stories and highlight the complexities and intersections witnessed by over 4.2 million young people facing homelessness each year. January is Human Trafficking Prevention Month. I'm so happy to welcome Ashley Smith-Thompson from Polaris to discuss myths, misconceptions, and realities about human trafficking. Ashley, why don't you start by introducing yourself and telling everyone about your role at Polaris. My name is Ashley Smith-Thompson. I am a case response specialist with Polaris. I've been in this role for six months. I started off on the hotline in November 2020. Um, and then after taking calls and working with survivors a lot within on the hotline, I was promoted into this role where I am more so um, on the backside of helping providers, um, communicating with law enforcement or um, helping foreign national minors, protecting them from being trafficked when it's someone within their family, and just helping survivors any way we can from the backside on the hotline. Also dealing with very complex cases. And just to clarify, when you say the hotline, you're talking about the National Human Trafficking Hotline, correct? Yes. On the Human Trafficking Hotline, is it more likely that you hear from young people in crisis or are at risk of experiencing some type of crisis, or are you more likely to hear from a concerned adult? Um, when I was on the hotline, I would say we got a lot of calls from concerned adults, a lot of parents. Minors do contact the hotline, but it's, it's not as often as adults do or parents do when they're concerned about their children. I guess that's not too surprising, considering how little information about trafficking you see out in the real world or online, unless you're really looking for it. Could you give us a legal definition for human trafficking, just for context? Sure. So the simplified version of sex and labor trafficking, as like U.S. law describes it or defines it, is human trafficking is the use of force, fraud, or coercion to compel a person into commercial sex acts or labor against their will. So most people mostly understand the element of force, right? They just know the force element of someone is forcing them to do something. A lot of times, a lot of people do not connect it to the actual act or understand that there's also other elements such as the coercion and the fraud element that needs to be involved in order for it to become human sex or labor trafficking. Um, also, people also tend to focus on just sex trafficking. That part of the definition, there's not a lot of awareness regarding labor trafficking, especially within the United States. Um, a lot of people only focus on sex trafficking, but they, they forget that labor trafficking is also a form of human trafficking as well. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but this National Human Trafficking Prevention Month, I learned that most experts believe that labor trafficking is far more prevalent than sex trafficking. Absolutely. Um, labor trafficking is something that you see everywhere. Honestly, you can, when you go out to eat, when you're taking your child to the circus, it could be when you're at Home Depot, when you see the workers outside. Um, labor trafficking is very, it's in your face, but it's something that people don't see because they, they're not looking for those signs or those symptoms. 
When I was listening to our conversation with Polaris during last year's Human Trafficking Prevention Month, I remember having the realization that I had friends in high school, and that's friends, plural, that had likely experienced some form of labor trafficking. I think with trafficking in particular, most people think of a movie where a young person is randomly kidnapped and then sold through a trafficking ring, and the movie focuses more on the impossible links that the hero goes through to save them. What are some other harmful misconceptions about trafficking? So many of them are about traffickers and how they operate. One of the most common um, misconceptions is that traffickers frequently target certain victims. Um, They kidnap them or they're using violence to force them into doing something. If you think about it, when it comes to trafficking, the person has to get to know you and has to get your trust in order for you to be able to for them to even be able to get you to force to force you to do something. A lot of times people think, oh, they're following behind me and they're going to kidnap me and then I'm going to be trafficked. No. Um, there's also a lot of times where um, social media plays a big role in influencing how people think that trafficking happens. And then also people think that it's based on particular gender or race or ethnicity. Um, traffickers are diverse. They don't care what your race is. They don't care what your sex is. Anyone can be a victim. Um, in reality, one thing that ties traffickers together is how they how they get their power over their victims for their gain of financial wealth and their gain of control and power into keeping that person as a form of financial means for them. But a lot of the misconceptions come from TV. They come from social media. I think last year there was a there was a rumor on TikTok that traffickers were leaving car seats near dumpsters or something like that. And then women were being drawn to them. And then after they got the car seat, they would be kidnapped. No. Or leaving certain marks on your cars. No. Traffickers usually are someone you know. It's not just a random stranger off the street. I really appreciate how straightforward that answer is. Because if most people heard it that way, they would be like, what? No way. That's not what I heard. Or, or like in my Facebook group, someone said that it's actually like this. Can you share how some of these stereotypes about human trafficking and the people who commit trafficking crimes negatively affect programs like the ones you have at Polaris? They provide miseducation and they create stereotypes. And then they also distract people from the more disturbing and simple realities of how human trafficking actually works and how we can prevent it. If people continue to focus on these situations that are inaccurate, created through social media and all this other stuff, then when trafficking situations happen, they miss some of the more subtle ways that people, that they happen or people in their lives are being groomed or lured into potential sex and that um, labor trafficking situations. Most of these stereotypes are very much so focused on sex trafficking. So they take away the attention from labor trafficking as a whole entirely and makes it disappear. Like that's not an issue when that's also an issue as well. I feel like we can't keep bringing up social media without asking how people who commit trafficking crimes are leveraging digital platforms. Can you share a little bit about that? So social media provides traffickers with a very um, large pool of ways to target and recruit people effortlessly, in a sense. So the National Human Trafficking Hotline um, has seen recruitment in all types of both sex and labor trafficking on mainstream social media platforms. Um, For instance, during the pandemic in 2020, we saw a 22% increase on online recruitment for all forms of trafficking, which highlighted whether whatever they're vulnerable people in communities, there will be someone that finds you 
with the goal of being able to exploit them. And then it's also, you have the different ways recruitment happens, such as um, relationship recruitment on like online um, dating sites, creating fake or deceptive job recruitments, whatever, whatever a person can see that is your need or that makes you vulnerable, a trafficker will attack that and use that. And especially from social media where they're able to hide behind a screen, it makes it scarier and also more of a problem because you never know who you're talking to on the other side, if it's real or if it's fake. Social media provides a whole different platform that is very hard to combat when it comes to recruitment and traffickers. Earlier, you made the point that when you're worried about the misinformation, like the people tagging your cars and things like that, you actually miss out on the more subtle ways that people are recruited, like with false or fraudulent job applications. Can you share any other subtleties that people may not think about, but are common methods for recruiters? I would say, um, I don't know. I know when I was in high school, we used to get these letters in the mail from, um, certain places that were saying that they were hiring teenagers for jobs. Um, and it look it, it looks legit. It, they want to hire you. They found you. They have your address. The website's legit. Everything looks legit. But no one ever asks, well, how do you know that I'm in high school? How did you get my information? Stuff like that. No one ever asks. And then, you know, you have that teenager like, oh, yeah, I'm about to go get me a job. Then they go and they get in this position where, they're selling stuff door to door, like you mentioned before, and they're not getting paid. Or if you think about situations like um, the R. Kelly situation, where parents were actively seeking um, this man out because he wanted they wanted their children to be successful in a music career, right? And yes, he was successful, and yes, they thought he had good intentions, but he ended up exploiting their children and not even doing what he said they were going to do and causing a lot of trauma. People do online dating profiles. They meet someone and they say, oh, you know, they realize, oh, you don't have a lot of friends. Oh, you know, I'm all you have. And you'll be 18 in a couple of months. Do you want to come live with me? And they're like, yeah, you know, we're going to make it. That's a trafficker. And just because you've been talking to them for months and months or been talking to them for years and years, we, we tend to want to think they're good in people. But I mean, when the pandemic happened, the pandemic kind of told us that we have to communicate with people differently. So traffickers are now using dating profiles and all this other stuff as a way to target people because people are scared to go out. People are not meeting people a normal way. Um, People are fearful of, you know, these diseases and they are used to this online platform that traffickers are getting creative. I have even heard signals calls where traffickers have been on Fortnite um, trying to communicate with children saying that I'm a child and they're playing with other children and they're not, they're not a child. Um, Instagram where um, you have this random guy sending you a message saying, I'm going to be your sugar daddy. I'll pay you all your bills. And you're like, Oh, okay. You don't have to do anything. Got him. And they're in a situation. That is so wild to hear. The common theme here seems to be that it's too good to be true in a lot of cases. Even if you say to yourself that it's too good to be true, sometimes something like an official looking website can be all that it takes for somebody to let their guard down. But like anybody can make a website. It's the same with dating profiles. You get to know someone for a little while and then you decide to meet them and boom, it's not the same person from the picture. 
And as a society, we're so desensitized to that situation because we see it happen all the time in pop culture. But in reality, that could be the one opportunity someone takes to trap you into a trafficking situation. They've gotten to know you. They know what your weaknesses are and things like that or know what you're in need of. With the rise of human trafficking recruitment online, should we worry less about trafficking that's happening in the real world? Trafficking, I, I, I believe that people should look at it as trafficking can happen anywhere. It, it doesn't, if you're online, it can happen online. If you're out in the street, it can happen in the street. It matters where you are. I wish I could say that, you know, traffickers only target you at this time, on this date, on this platform. But that's not the way it works. You can go out tomorrow, meet someone, think that they're everything. And then after a while, they ask you to do something. And that something turns into you're going to do it. You can go get a job and think I'm coming to, I have this visa. I'm going to work. I'm going to go to this restaurant and I'm going to get this job. And they say they're going to pay me, but then they don't pay me or I don't get any days off. And then they're not paying me what they say they were. And then... I'm sick and I still have to come here or I'm threatening to be deported. It's it, it's just the way that the world works. It's just one of those things where it's like, if I am at the grocery store, trafficking can happen. I can meet someone. It may, it's not going to happen instantly. It's not something like, oh, I went to the grocery store and I was, I was sex trafficked and I came home two weeks later. No, it's, it's a, you have to think about it, especially for sex trafficking. It happens over time. Sex trafficking is a it's a relationship building. And more so labor trafficking is the way I like to think about it. That's more of that's happening instantly. Right after you pass that fraud and you get that job, as soon as you get in that job and you sign that contract, it's happening. So it's more so like when you are applying for jobs, is this is this a real job? I remember I had a situation a long time ago where I had a uh a recruiter reached out to me on LinkedIn for a job. It looked legit. I thought it was like the real thing. Had a picture. It was real. Salary was great and everything. And um, luckily, I knew someone that worked with a sister company and asked them, like, is this real? Like, it just sounds too good to be true. And then it got to the interview part where they were like, meet me in this place where it was like a dark room. And I was like, that's not how an interview works. Something's not right. And eventually I learned, it was a scam. It was not a real, it wasn't a real thing. However, think about like the people who don't have that and they're like, oh, this is a great opportunity. They don't know how things work. Oh yeah, I'm about to go get that job. I went for the interview. And then after that, everything's totally different. Everything changed and they're stuck. So a lot of times, like even when people come from another country, they're getting jobs, they're looking online. Someone's coming there saying, I can help you. You're going to have a better life. And then they don't. They come here and they're stuck. They're away from their family. They have nowhere else to go except get deported. It happens anywhere. Wherever you are, it can happen. There's no, it's one of those things where you just have to be alert and just know like this is a part of the world and it's something that can happen. I need to educate myself. I appreciate you sharing those red flags and bringing some of those myths to life. I, I think that people think trafficking will never happen to them because again, they imagine that that means something along the lines of being kidnapped off the street. But like the R. Kelly situation you mentioned before is still something that people have a difficult time accepting because that's not what they visualize when they think of trafficking. So, I mean, even for celebrities, and I mean, I often think about child stars 
you know, who put them in that spot? Are they asking to work? Are they being exploited? Who's getting that money? Um, are they getting that money? Is someone else getting that money? Like, what, what, do they have a choice? Who has that power? Um, a lot of people say that I'm getting paid, so that means I'm not being trafficked wrong. You can still be exploited. Um, if you are working, you know, if you're doing work at home and you're not getting paid for that work, but the work is still expected to be done, you're being exploited. If you're being harassed in the work environment and being threatened to report, you can be exploited. If you signed a contract and your contract is not what is happening, you're being exploited. And I mean, honestly, the exploitation piece is more of the, the underrated piece that people are not like mentioning because that can happen in any workplace with any organization, any company um, where workers are being asked to do things and the expectation that it gets done. And even if it's outside of their work hours and they're not getting paid, a lot of people are going home. Like it's still exploitation to a certain degree. Um, it just matters on how the employer takes those next steps. If it is a, okay, you know, let's make time. Let's figure this out. No, that's not exploitation. But if it's more so, I gave you this job, you're going to do it. If you don't do it, then X, Y, and Z. And then I'm going to keep doing this and this and this. Knowing that it's not realistic for you to get this done, still set this expectation and overwork you. And then try to give you unrealistic consequences that are not legal. Then that's exploitation. And that can happen to anyone. You know, I hear from my teammates on the crisis services line that they hear these types of stories from young people all the time. And luckily, there are a lot of young people who reach out to us for advice in this type of situation before they've made a decision to pursue anything on their own. Can you talk about some of the trafficking related vulnerabilities that a young person may face if they're experiencing homelessness or if they've made the tough decision to leave home? Yeah. So like youth experiencing homelessness or who are considered runaways, they're more vulnerable in many ways. Um, they often are in need of a safe place to stay or a way to support themselves, which makes them a huge target for traffickers. Um, while we may hear a lot about experiences with sex trafficking, we still still always hear less about labor trafficking experiences. However, we have heard instances of youth experiencing labor trafficking in domestic work situations, illicit activities such as drug sales, traveling sales, crews, cleaning services, factories, manufacturing. So we always like to provide like the context that sex and labor trafficking are predictable, are the predictable end result of larger societal issues such as poverty, trauma, discrimination, oppression, and these larger issues turn into large-scale vulnerabilities to trafficking. Um, people you might know may be vulnerable to trafficking if they're in an unstable living situation, they're facing poverty, having a history of domestic violence or abuse, are runaways, are involved in juvenile justice or foster care systems, documented, addicted to drugs or alcohol. Any of those factors can contribute to their vulnerability that makes them targets. Um, and sometimes their targeters are able to meet the less tangible. They offer love, they offer affection, a sense of belonging. They offer all those things that someone may be yearning for that they're not getting. Just and that become makes them an even bigger target. Since we're talking about vulnerabilities, I want to go back to the legal definition of human trafficking. Can you talk about the action means purpose model? Sure. So the action means purpose model basically just helps you understand the elements 
um, as mentioned in the, like the full federal law definition. So human trafficking occurs when a predator, often referred to as a trafficker, takes an action. So the action is um, recruitment, transports, provides, induces, harbors, um, and then employs the means, which is um, the force, the fraud or the coercion, right? So it's um, how they are making you do this. And then the purpose is the compelling the victims to provide commercial sex or labor services. So if you think about it like a, a horrible compound sentence, probably, um, action is why, means is how. So how are they doing it? So are they, um, did they lie to you and say that you would get something? Did they offer you something that's unbelievable? Did they, um, did they give you drugs? And then it's the purpose, which is the compelling the victims to provide commercial sex. So if I had to use a real life description or example to help someone understand this, it would be, and just to let you know, this example does not represent Polaris or the National Human Trafficking Hotline in any kind of way. It's just a way to help people understand. But if you think about action and you think about traffickers, if if I am at your school and I'm your teacher and I am saying that I am starting this new program that um, is gonna help your son or daughter and I only want boys, and this program is going to help them get a scholarship at the end of the year, right? Um, and because I know that you can't afford college, so the action is I'm recruiting people. He started this program, and now he's recruiting people. The means is by force, fraud, or coercion, right? So I'm offering them a scholarship because I know that they need this money, and I know that they cannot afford it, and there's no other way they can get this money. I also know that they do not know if my situation is real or not. I also know that, you know, they may not even have a mom at home that's really educated enough to find this out. And then the purpose of compelling the victims to provide commercial sex or labor. So it could either be, I created this whole little group and you guys are going to do what I say. And if you don't, then I'm going to tell your moms or lie to your moms and you're not getting paid for this. You're never going to get that scholarship, but they don't know they're not going to get that scholarship. So they're going to keep doing it because they want the scholarship, but they don't know that's never going to happen. And then they're thinking, you know, my mom needs this money or, you know, how am I help my mom? If I don't get it, like, what is my mom going to do? Not realizing like that is never, ever going to happen for them. So, I mean, if you, if you had to use this model to understand trafficking, I would think of it as, if you are meeting someone and they are acting as if like they're trying to get to know you all of a sudden very, very quickly, and they're trying to find out your weaknesses, that's their action. And you're giving them their means. You're giving them what you need and what you don't have so that they can use it and exploit it to make you do what they want you to do. And I mean, it and does not always have to be sex or labor trafficking. You can be in a sex and labor trafficking situation. So it just depends on who that trafficker is. And I mean, I also just want to highlight that the trafficker can also be your parents. It can be your family. It can be your teacher. It can be your pastor. It can be anyone. So I mean, and that's why the relationship building aspect is very important. Because if you think about it, are you going to do something for someone that you don't know? That is Joe Blow off the street going to say, you're going to do this, and if not, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill your family. How do you know my family? Do you know where my family is? But if you're my pastor and my family's come to church every Sunday, you know 
who my family is. You you know me. You know my weaknesses. Same thing with labor trafficking. They know that you need money to send home to your family. They know you don't have that opportunity at home. So you're here. Right. Right. Last question. What is one thing that you want people to take away from today's podcast episode? Educate yourself by going to our website, Polaris Project, or humantraffickinghotline.org, or not, not believing everything you see on social media. And by being aware and being aware of your circumstances, being aware of your environment, um, and choosing what you want to educate yourself on and what you don't, and choosing to be a part of the solution and not a part of the problem. Also thinking about when you go to restaurants and, you know, emphasizing the labor trafficking aspect, when we are in restaurants and we're thinking about how much we're paying for this food and the cook in the back, is the cook, um, who is that cook? Is that cook being paid? That Did that cook have a break? When you're going to the circus and you see certain workers, just asking yourself those questions of, is this appropriate? When you're get that knock on your door and a child's knocking on your door asking to sell you stuff, anything, anything that just does not seem appropriate or right, asking yourself those questions and realizing that it's two sides of trafficking. There's labor trafficking and sex trafficking. And labor trafficking literally can be in front of your face. And if you don't know it because you're only focusing on one thing, then how can you be a part of the solution or help someone? Thank you so much for tuning in to the Let's Talk podcast. This is the first of three conversations about human trafficking, and I'm so thankful to Polaris Project for helping us kick off season four. Stay tuned because for the next episode, we're joined by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And for the following episode, we're talking to the Department of Homeland Security's Blue Campaign. See you then.